Well, welcome back and welcome to week 17 of our Believe series as we unpack what it means to live out the story of the Bible to become like Jesus, to think and to act and to be like Jesus. We're on a 30-week journey here, and we're in the middle portion that we're learning how to not just think but to act like Jesus. And uh, we're in the second part of that middle portion where we've looked at uh, what it means to think and act um, uh, vertically as it relates to God, and we're looking at the aspect now as it relates horizontally to one another, specifically as believers. We looked last week at the biblical community. So as believers in the church, how do we relate to each other in light of what God has done in our own lives? So that's what we're looking at. Uh, today, we want to look at the topic of spiritual gifts. Everybody likes gifts. I can remember when I was a kid, one year, my mom bought us a uh, computer for Christmas, a Commodore 64. Now, some of you have no idea what that is, but uh, some of you do, if you're my age, maybe. Um, anyways, the Commodore 64 was, I mean, it was kind of the rage at the time, and computers, and uh, we couldn't believe our mom got us one. Uh, we didn't have much money. There were six of us kids, and so we got this computer, but we used it for games. You know, we really didn't do much else on it. I don't know if she knew that when she bought it or not, but anyway, we played games most of the time, and um, we didn't watch much TV. We had very limited TV. We had a black and white TV, but we weren't allowed to watch it hardly ever. Um, so we played video games on the computer, and of course, with that many siblings, and uh, we argued a lot. And so mom told us a couple of times, if you continue arguing, I'm taking the computer back to the store. And um, mom wasn't one to really mess around. And so you probably know how this story goes. Yeah, we, uh, we continued to argue because we were not super smart kids. And so, yeah, the computer was gone. Uh, so that was the end of our gift. Uh, so she had given us this gift. And instead of sharing this gift, okay, with one another, instead of using this gift to, to help each other out and to build, like, our, our relationships with each other, what did we do? We were selfish with it. We were focused on ourselves. No, I want to play. No, I want to play. I want to play again. No, you're not playing. I'm playing. Right? That's, that's what happens, right? You argue over, you guys do the same things, right? Whether it's PS whatever they're at now or, oh, we're at four. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or whatever your, your PlayStation or game of choice is, right? So we're selfish, all right? That's why those are the first things we have to teach kids, and we're constantly teaching them. And unfortunately, when we become adults, we don't necessarily just grow out of this. And when we look at this idea today that we're going to look at with spiritual gifts, I want you to really remember the idea that we're talking about gifts. Okay? Gifts. That means somebody gave us something. All right? We're very prone to abusing. All right? We see it sometimes, and I'm not trying to pick on you kids, but... You know, we, we bring pizza every Wednesday night to our apartment ministry. You know, that's a gift in a sense. We bring it, you know, and sometimes we'll have kids that are arguing about it or they, you know, they want this piece or that piece or he got more than me or, or whatever, you know. And so it's a gift, you know what I mean? Um, and again, it's not just kids. So don't think I'm picking on you guys. Um, adults do the same thing. All right. You line up for a, a buffet at a place and uh, if it's your favorite dessert, the adults are just like the kids. They want the biggest piece. Right? Sometimes I'm doing the same thing, right? I want that biggest piece of whatever, cheesecake, you know? Um, anyway, gifts, we abuse them. And we do the same thing with God, and that's the sad truth of the matter. And so in the history of spiritual gifts, we're going to see today, that the same thing occurs with that. And this might be the most obvious and glaring, at the same time, the most oxymoronic thing about spiritual gifts, because God gives these spiritual gifts to be a blessing to other people. And instead, we get selfish with them, and we ruin the whole point of the gift. Now, I want, want you to watch this video. We have a video every week. You know that, okay? But watch this video. It's going to take us into the Old Testament. I want you to think about the gift that is involved in this story. You know the story, but I want you to think about what gift was involved in this story.
driven out of their promised land. The Israelites were living in captivity in foreign nations. One of these countries was Babylon. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, was troubled by a dream he had and did not understand. And he could no longer sleep because of it. So he summoned anyone he thought could interpret his dream. Magicians, sorcerers, and astrologers. They arrived before the king and asked him to tell them his dream so that they could interpret it. But the king would not tell them the dream. Instead, he asked the maiden to tell him what the dream was and what it meant. If they were unable to, he said, they would be killed. The men answered, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. King Nebuchadnezzar was furious, so he ordered the execution of all of the wise men, the magicians, sorcerers, and astrologers living in Babylon. Guards were sent to look for one of the king's servants, an Israelite named Daniel, because he too was considered one of the wise men. Daniel wisely asked the commander of the king's guards for additional time to interpret the dream. Daniel went home and together with his friends prayed that God would help them interpret the king's dream. During the night, Daniel had a vision that revealed what the king's dream was and what it meant. When he awoke, Daniel praised God and went to speak to the commander of the king's guard. Do not execute the wise men of Babylon, Daniel requested. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. When Daniel arrived, the king asked, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Then Daniel described the exact details of the king's dream. He described a giant statue made of gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Daniel described how a rock struck the statue and smashed it to pieces. Then the wind swept up all the pieces of the statue and blew them away. But the rock that had struck the statue remained and grew into a huge mountain that filled the entire earth. Then Daniel told the king what the dream meant, sharing that the different parts of the statue represented the kingdom of Babylon and other kingdoms like it. And the rock that destroyed the statue represented God's kingdom, a kingdom that would never be destroyed. At this, King Nebuchadnezzar fell down before Daniel. Surely your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king made Daniel the ruler of all of Babylon, gave him many gifts, and appointed Daniel's friends to help him oversee Babylon. Now, the way that episode ends is exactly the point. The point is that people come to know about God. So that's one of the things that we're going to need to keep in mind today. But can you imagine for a minute the situation that Daniel was in? Being told, come up with what my dream was, that would be like me coming in here and telling you, tell me what I dreamt last night. You'd just be guessing, shooting in the dark, you have no idea. And Daniel understood this, which is why he went to God, because only God knows what the man dreamt last night. And so you see in the situation that Daniel goes to the source. Daniel goes to the only person... God, who would know? God not only reveals to Daniel the king's dream, but also the interpretation. So one thing we learn about Daniel from this episode is his great faith in God. That's where his trust was. That's where his faith was. First, because he asked, and second, because he believed that God would actually answer his prayer. He asked the king, give us a little bit. We'll come back to you. Let me go talk to my God. Second, he believed what God revealed to him. Remember, if uh, he tells the king the wrong thing, He's toast. So even after God revealed to him, he still had to believe that that is the same thing that the king dreamt. Because his head's literally on the line here. This episode in the life of Daniel may seem 
an odd intro to a message about spiritual gifts. But actually, think about it. God was revealing to Daniel through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, information and interpretation. Notice also that Daniel was in complete control of the situation when he went to see the king. He was not in an altered state of consciousness. He had control of his faculties. I think that's important for us to remember when we get to the New Testament in a few minutes. So this is but one example of the spirit working in people's lives in the Old Testament. We could talk about Moses or Elijah or Elisha, Ezekiel and others. We could talk about 2 Kings chapter 6, one of my favorite passages, where, where God tells his man, the prophet, everything that's going on in the king's uh, house. Even he says what goes on in his bedroom. Like he knows everything. God tells it all to him. But let me look um, at another passage in the book of Joel, or you may be used to saying it as Joel. The Hebrews probably would have said Joel. Chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. Here we have a prophet who, in the midst of a national disaster, okay, a plague of locusts have invaded. It's just like an invasion of an army. It's God's judgment on the people for turning their backs on God. In the midst of this devastating destruction, God appeals to the people to repent completely. In chapter 2, verse, verse 12, he asks them, he tells them, if they would repent completely, that he would bless them. And then God says that he would repay them. Now, the, the thing that you need to catch here, you have to go back and read this to understand it. But when God says he will repay them, okay, what he's really saying is that it's as if it's his fault. It's as if he took from them and he's going to repay them back. But he's not the one that did anything wrong. They did it. So he's going to repay them even though they're the ones that did the wrong. And he's going to bless them for it. He's going to give them over and above. He's going to make it up to them if they'll simply repent and get right with him. And so that's what's going on. And we come to this passage here. And in chapter 2, verse 27, it's the climax. And God says that uh, then you will know that I am God. That's the same thing that happened in the story with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar realizes that God is the only true God. That's the same thing that happens in the book of Exodus with Pharaoh. The point of all those plagues is to show that there is only one God. It is God. And so the same thing happens here in Joel 2.27. And then we get to what is on the screen, verses 28 to 32. And it says, after this, okay, so if they'll repent, okay, and God's going to make himself known. After this, I'll pour out my spirit on all humanity. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and the female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, and before the great and awe-inspiring day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls in the name of Yahweh will be saved. There will be an escape for, uh, for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as the Lord promised among the survivors the Lord calls. And so in this passage... We have a prophecy, okay, that is God going to pour out his spirit on everyone, not just the individual prophets, his spokespeople, but everyone's going to get it. That, that's what's going on here. And Moses, uh, way back in Numbers eleven twenty nine, Moses had said that he wished that all the people were prophets. Basically, that's what Joel's saying. God's going to turn everybody into a prophet pretty much. When he pours out his spirit, God's going to give his revelation to them. The, then Peter, in Acts chapter 2, starting in 16 and following, says that Pentecost is that pouring out of the spirit of God and his people. The day when people spoke in other tongues and some 3,000 people are saved. That's what happens when God's spirit rains down and reigns supreme. Look at chapter uh, 2 of Acts with me. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues, like flames of fire that were divided, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them the ability for speech. Therefore, or there were Jews living in Jerusalem, a devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astonished and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, 
Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own language. They're all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? But some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. They're drunk, in other words. What happens in this context? The Holy Spirit comes upon these people, and they begin to speak in these languages, in other tongues, it says. And this we'll talk about in a minute when we get to Corinthians and, and Romans with spiritual gifts. But God is pouring out his spirit upon his people. As the church grew, okay, 3,000 people were, were added to the church that day. The church begins to grow, all right? Uh, Saul begins to persecute them. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is killed. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Saul agreed with putting him, Stephen, to death. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And get this, all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Now, I have this verse in here because I just want to highlight and emphasize one thing to you. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, it says. The believers were scattered. So how does the church grow and how were new churches planted all over? It wasn't because of all the church leaders. It was because of the believers who went everywhere and were scattered abroad through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, you need to understand something. This is not something for the leadership. This is something for all of God's people. And that God has called each believer with the Holy Spirit indwelling them to go abroad, to go wherever God puts them, and to scatter the seed that people would be saved. So spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. The, the gifts of the Spirit. You look at this visual that I have up here on the screen, and, and there's all sorts of these different gifts. There's apostles and evangelists and discernment and ministry and ministering, miracles and prophecy, all these things. And you say, man, I don't know. Are these in my life? Should they be in my life? What, what are the gifts that God has given me? Well, let me show you um, a list, all right? We really don't have time in, in just this morning to go through each passage, all right? And so I want to explain some big picture things and then some details in a few minutes. Um, here is a gift list, okay? So there's Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 across the, the top of the screen here, okay? So there's three passages in Scripture that deal with what most people usually call the spiritual gifts, all right? Romans and 1 Corinthians are both chapter 12, okay? And Ephesians is chapter 4, all right? So... You can remember that by Ephesians 4, okay? But there's three groups, right? So 4 times 3 is what? 12. And the other two are 12s, right? So these three different groups, all right? Now, look at these lists for a minute, all right? Read them to yourself, okay? Read through these lists. Now, I want you to notice something here. Are these lists all the same? No, these lists are not all the same, okay? That's got to that's be a red flag for us. All right, so when people talk about spiritual gifts, can I go to Romans 12 to find out all of the spiritual gifts? No, I can't. Can I go to 1 Corinthians 12? No, I can't. Can I go to Ephesians 4? No, I can't, because these lists are not all the same. All right? Now, there's overlap between some of them, but then some of them don't have any of the others in them. All right? So these three primary passages, but they aren't the same. There's 18 or 19 different gifts, depending on how you want to count them. Prophecy and teaching are the only gifts to appear in all three lists. Okay? Apostleship, helps, ruling, or governing are found in two of the lists. Thirteen of the gifts are mentioned in only one list. And so different passages deals with different lists. Now, that has to be important for us. We need to understand something. First off, Paul wrote all three of these letters, Romans, Corinthians, and Ephesians. They're written to three different churches, though, in three different places. They have three different situations and three different sets of problems. Now, one of the things I need you to understand is that when Paul writes these letters, that's what they are, they're letters, right? When you write a letter, you say, dear so-and-so, right? That's what Paul does. He says, to the church at Rome, okay, or to the church at Corinth, or to the church at Ephesus. And he's writing because there's a situation that needs to be addressed. Different situations, different solutions, right? 
So that's why they're not all the same. Here's what you need to understand. Paul did not set out to write a letter and say, here's the gifts of the Spirit, and here's what you do with them. And so today we talk about these gifts of the Spirit. Paul would not have talked like this. All right? Paul did not set out and write some chapter in the Bible about gifts of the Spirit. Here's the gifts. You have some of them, and here's what you do with them. Okay? That's not what happened. There's a situation that occurred, and he's addressing the situation. Okay? Look at this next uh, category with me. This shows them categorized by uh, speaking, serving, and signifying or, or sign gifts. Okay? So three different categories that you can put these gifts in. Okay? Speaking, serving, and sign gifts. Now, the sign gifts actually come from the speaking and the serving. If you look at the last two on each of the first two columns, that's where you get the sign gifts. So under speaking at the bottom, you get tongues and interpretation, and they go together. And that's over here on the sign gifts. And under serving, you've got miracles and healing, and you'll see that they're over here on the sign gifts also. Okay? So you want to think about these things. Again, three S's, speaking, serving, signifying, or sign gifts. Okay? And so you've got these three categories that we can look at. And you can loosely categorize them that way. Now, that's just some big picture things for you, okay? To understand what's going on and why Paul wrote these, all right, I'm going to approach this slightly different probably than some others have approached it. So let's go to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians, all right? We're going to look at the Corinthian passage and the, and the Romans passage today. We're actually not going to look at the Ephesians passage. The Ephesians passage is actually um, really more about uh, offices or, or, or positions, if you will, um, and not so much spiritual gifts as much, all right? And so Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are more specifically dealing with it. 1 Corinthians 12 is a key passage because Paul wrote this letter specifically to correct, and that's very important to for understanding, uh, to correct the abuses that were going on in the church. Remember, spiritual gifts. What's the second word? Gift. Gift. Who do they come from? God, okay? From the Holy Spirit, right? From God. This, the gifts, and what did they do with them? The same thing that me and my brothers and sisters did with Commodore 64. We abused the gift. And so because of the abuse of the gift, Paul has to write some correction. My mom tried to correct us, and we didn't listen. And so what did she do? She took it back to the store. Paul wrote, Paul actually wrote four letters to the Corinthian church. We only have two of them. The Corinthian church didn't listen to some of Paul's writing either, his advice, his counsel, they rejected some of that, and so they continued in turmoil over many of these issues. That's why he wrote so many letters to them. Look at this um, visual that's up on the screen here. Okay, I'm going to leave that up there as we read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then I'll come back to it in just a minute. So if you didn't bring your Bible, there's some on the table. Find 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all right? There's an index in the, in the front. It's a New Testament book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians, okay? First Corinthians chapter 12, all right? So Paul writes, now, before I even read it, understand, we're in chapter 12, which means there's 11 chapters prior Okay, Paul didn't just start out like this, okay? He had 11 chapters previous, all right? He says, now concerning what comes from the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware, okay? So he wants them to know something, all right? You know that when you were pagans, you used to be led off to the idols that could not speak. Therefore, I am informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. <clears throat> when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody, okay, comes into them and dwells them, or convicts them prior to their salvation, that is how they come to realize Jesus is Lord. When you and I read this, it doesn't make a lot of sense, because we think, well, anybody can say the words, Jesus is Lord. It's three words. Like, Paul just said, you only say that by the Spirit. But see, we're not in the first century. In the first century, Caesar was Lord. 
right? The only way you say Jesus is Lord is if you want to go against the entire culture, the entire society, and maybe even get your head chopped off, okay? And so for them to say that, they say that because God has convicted them through his Holy Spirit and brought them to salvation. That's why they're saying that. So you have to put yourself in the first century context. Pick up with verse 4. Okay? Now there's different gifts, but the same Spirit. Different ministries, but the same Lord. Different activities, but the same God activate each gift in each person. Now, let me just make a side note here. He just referenced the Trinity. I don't know if you caught that or not. All right? But he mentioned the Spirit, he mentioned God, and he mentioned Lord, which is Lord Jesus. Okay? That's the Trinity. So he just said, basically, this takes us all the way back to week one in our study. That as God is a trinity working together in fellowship, that they are doing a work in our lives through the whole trinity as well. And that God is gifting through his own inner fellowship, all right? So different gifts, activities, and ministries all from God. Verse 7, a demonstration of the spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. So notice that the spirit... It says a demonstration of the Spirit or a manifestation. In other words, the Spirit is working because the Spirit resides inside of you. Okay, but how does anybody know the Spirit's inside of you? Well, by how you act and think and talk, right? And so the Spirit works its way out of you through a demonstration or a manifestation, okay, to produce what is beneficial. So does he produce junk? No. Does he produce negative stuff? No. So if we got negative stuff, well, it's not coming from the Spirit, all right? Verse number 8. To one's given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of languages. To another, interpretation of languages. But one and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. So you notice that what did he repeat multiple times? The same Spirit is giving the gifts. All right? It's all coming from the same source. All right? Distributing, he said at the end of verse 11, to each person as he wills. So who decides about this stuff? God does. Okay? God is deciding what he wants to do in his body, in his church, with his people. All right? Verse 12. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we're all baptized by one spirit into one body. So how are we brought into the church? Through the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you're my brother or not, whether or not you have the spirit? Okay. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. Now remember how we read Joel earlier? And he mentioned... That the Spirit would be poured out on, what well, everybody, right? Slaves and women and men, everybody. What did Paul just say here in Corinthians? Like the same thing. The Spirit, okay, has now been poured out on men and women, slaves, children, adults, and that breaks down the barriers. We all are one. Verse 14. So the body is not uh, one part, but many. So it's one body, but many parts. If the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each of the parts in one body as he wants it. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? There wouldn't be, right? It'd be just a box of parts, right? But you put all the parts together, you make a body. Okay? Now, there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. So that there would be no division in the body. Get that? No division. But that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Did you put your pants on both legs or just one? Right, exactly. Now, you're the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has placed these in the church. Now, here is the quote list, one of them. 
First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, managing, various kinds of languages. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other languages? Do all interpret? The answer is no, of course. But desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you an even better way. And in chapter 13, he shows that the best way is love. Then in chapter 14, he picks up on the issues of tongues specifically, and then some other gifts as well. What was happening in the Corinthian church was that they thought that they were spiritually mature, but they were actually spiritually babies. And so it's very ironic, but actually in the 21st century, we still have the exact same problem occurring. The Corinthian church thought that those who spoke in tongues were the most spiritual. And so they made a big deal about it. And they focused all their energy pretty much on tongues. And Paul tells them, you are mistaken because you don't understand. If you only have one gift, that's like only having one part of the body. You need all of these different parts of the body. And so Paul actually goes through... And then if you go into chapter 13 and 14, and 13, like I said, he focuses on the fact that love needs to be the key. And 14, he goes through and he focuses on the fact that you're missing the point. Prophecy is more important than tongues because prophecy speaks the word of God. But tongues is spoken in a language that nobody can understand unless you have an interpreter. So he lays down a couple of rules. One of the rules... And what you need to do is this week go home and read chapter 14, and you'll see that this is right in the text. One of the rules is if there's no interpreter, then whoever speaks in tongues doesn't speak. No interpreter, no tongues. Why? Because each gift, as we learn in chapter 12, is to benefit the members of the body. If I come in here and I speak to you in uh, Japanese, none of you understand Japanese, right? I pick Japanese. Okay. Oh, you did learn a little bit. Yeah, so I tried to pick a language no one would actually know. Swahili. Swahili, yeah, there you go. All right, no one knows Swahili, right? So if I came in here speaking Swahili, it would not benefit any of you. Okay. In fact, if I preached in Swahili every week, you would probably stop coming. It doesn't mean anything to you. It's pointless to you. In fact, the truth of the matter is that some of you only come here because you understand and prefer English over Creole. All right? For a lot of you, that is actually like your, your heart language, your native tongue or, or whatever. But you only know parts of it, um, and so you prefer in English, and you actually understand somewhat better in English, okay? So if I did Swahili every week, you'd stop coming. It is no benefit to you. That's Paul's point. So he's saying, you're sitting there thinking that you're so great and patting yourself on the back because you're speaking in tongues, and in reality, you're not helping anybody. So stop doing it. It would be better for you actually to prophesy, to speak God's truths into people's lives so they can actually do something with it. That's what he's saying in chapter 14. Now, he did not say in chapter 14 that um, no one should ever speak tongues. What he said is there has to be an interpreter, and it has to be to the benefit of everybody else. Okay? So we don't have time in our little bit of, uh, you know, time frame we have today to get into all the nuances of every single gift and then the big debate about did some gifts end or did some gifts not end we need to understand is that that god through the spirit gifts people and he gifted them to do work so the the slide on the screen shows you the emphasis of this chapter all right what words stick out Okay, members of the body are one and spirit, okay? That is the main points of 1 Corinthians 12, okay? The spirit gives these gifts to the members of the body, and the body is what? One, all right? That's the point. So if, if you get a different point, you miss the point. And so when you get that, you need to realize that if, if what you or someone else thinks is a spiritual gift, okay, is causing division, well, guess what? There's a problem somewhere. The goal of the gift is to build the body into unity with Christ as the head. Also, I'll say this again. I've already said it, but the gifts come from who? 
God. The Spirit gives the gifts, okay? So we have in our culture today, like I said, the same problem. We have people that think that tongues is the superior gift, and you're not a full Christian if you don't speak in tongues. That's a lie. It's a complete lie. We have people that think that you can go home and learn how to speak in tongues, or another person can teach you how to speak in tongues. That's a lie. Where do the gifts come from? They, yes, the Spirit. The Spirit gives the gifts. Your mom and dad don't give you the gift. Your brother or sister don't give you the gift. Another believer doesn't give you the gift. The tongues come from God. Does everybody speak in tongues? No. Read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. He clearly says that not everybody has the gift of tongues. And we just read it a minute ago when we went through the whole list. Does everybody do this? Does everybody do this? And the answer is no, they don't. And so you have to be in the word to get the truth, okay? Why do groups focus on these things? I don't have time to go into the entire history, but when I was in seminary, I did some research, historical research, and studied some of this. And one of the things that I found is that throughout church history, there has been something that pretty much all Christians want an answer to, including you and I. And the answer, or the question I mean, the question we want an answer to is we want to know for sure that what we believe is really true and we're really going to go to heaven. Okay? That's called assurance. We want assurance. And so what people have done throughout the ages is they've looked at different things for their assurance. Some people will tell you, you look at your life, and if there's good works in your life, that means you're saved. So your assurance is based on your good works. Some people will say it's the changed life, you know? You used to do this, but now you do this. Listen, people from other religions have changed lives, okay? I, I know unbelievers who have better lives than Christians. So a changed life in that sense doesn't necessarily prove you're saved either. The scriptures say, Romans chapter 8, that if you have the Spirit, you're a child of God. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a child of God. And so, yeah, yes, we believe this. And then they'll say, okay, well, how do you know you have the Spirit? So you say, we want assurance again. And so this idea, I should rephrase that. That's not where tongues came in. Tongues was a gift of God to the Holy Spirit, okay? But the modern debate, okay, came about with this aspect of I want to be sure I'm a Christian, and so the way I can know that is if I speak in tongues because that means I got the Spirit. Well, that's not true. That's not what's going on. That's not what the Scripture says. And so... Unfortunately, many groups of Christians and entire denominations have been started on this idea. And then what they do is they add to that and what, what became known as a, a three-fold method of salvation. That you believe, then you get baptized, and then you speak in tongues. And so you had to have all three of those things to be saved. And the final part became the most important part because that proved it all. That you spoke in tongues. You see, but that's not what you find in Scripture. What you find in Scripture is that you repent and believe. Yeah, you should be baptized, but the water doesn't save you. You'll get spiritual gifts when you get saved. And they may or may not be what the Scriptures call speaking in tongues. And so that's what you got to understand. In 1 Corinthians 12, you have some divisions that are listed in the passage. And so on the right side of the screen, you will see the different gifts listed, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. They go together in the passage, okay? You, you have to look at the Greek language, etc., but it's divided into, again, three things in this passage. Then you have faith, gift of healing, effects of miracles, prophecy, and distinguishing of spirits, and then lastly, you have tongues and interpretation. Now, some of these go together, the tongues and the interpretation, for instance, okay? Also, the prophecy and the distinguishing of spirits, okay? <clears throat> the scriptures teach in multiple other passages, okay, including Thessalonians, Timothy, etc., that it is your responsibility to test the spirits. First John talks about testing the spirits, but Paul in Thessalonians also says that you need to discern. When someone says they have a prophecy, all right, he also talks about it in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12 through 14, if you go read the, the whole section. If someone comes in and says they have a prophecy, that God has showed them some scriptures and they want to share it with you, and they share that, you're responsible for checking that with God's word to see if it's really true. You see, this is similar to how it works in the Old Testament. If I came in here in the Old Testament time period, 
and told you something, and it wasn't true, well, that means that I'm a false prophet. I didn't really come from God. They had to stone him. That's what Deuteronomy says. You stone the false prophet. Now, prophets are, are known in, in our circles. We often think of the fact that they tell the future. But prophets don't just tell the future. Prophets mostly actually don't tell the future. What prophets mostly do is try to correct people's behavior today. If you go read the books of prophets, which is a whole bunch of the Old Testament, what they're mostly trying to do is get the people back on track because they're in sin. All right? That's what their job is. They're pointing people back to God and back to the scripture to correct their life. Okay? That's called foretelling. Okay? Instead of foretelling the future. We think of foretelling, but they mostly did foretelling. They're telling forth God's word and God's revelation. Does that all make sense to you guys? Yes? Okay. Good. The next slide shows 1 Corinthians again, just the classification of these different gifts. The, the first, wisdom and knowledge, has to do with information. Uh, the second group here is drawing attention to God with, with their um, superabundance of faith and healings and miracles. And then the last one with information, again, about tongues and the interpretation thereof. All right? And, of course, if you don't have the interpreter, then it doesn't benefit anybody. And so they're not supposed to be involved in it. Now, before I move into to Romans, let me just summarize again. The Corinthian church had gotten to the point where they thought that the spiritual gift of tongues was the best thing, and they were causing division in the church. And so Paul writes to them to say a couple of things. One is that all the gifts come from who? God, God the Spirit. Okay. Two is that there is a variety of gifts, just like there's different parts in the body. Okay? So everybody should not all have the one gift. Okay? Also, that he actually specifically said tongues was not the most important gift. Prophecy was way more important because in prophecy, you're actually speaking God's word that everybody can understand and put into practice to change their life. All right? Prophecy has to do, again, with telling God's word, the truth of God. Okay? So, any questions on that? Yeah. No. Now, let me make a comment on that, because here's the other thing with the spiritual gifts, okay? So, <clears throat> let's use the gift of, um, of teaching, for instance, okay? Everybody is supposed to teach, all right? Nobody is excluded from teaching God's word, all right? You, when you learn, are supposed to go tell other people. Remember in the Acts chapter 8 passage? We looked and we saw that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the believers were scattered. What did they do when they were scattered? They told. They taught. So when I teach you, you're supposed to check the scripture, make sure it's really true, and then go teach other people. When you learn by studying the Bible at home, devotions, a Bible study, whatever, you're supposed to then go tell other people. You don't just keep it inside. Okay. So while there is the spiritual gift of teaching, and what that means is that God has through his spirit, given this abundance, okay, of ability to study and knowledge and be able to clearly transfer and to teach that to somebody, okay, but that doesn't excuse everybody else from not teaching. Just like evangelism. Like, God has given some people, like, just really supernatural powers to evangelize. It's like when they talk to people, people just get saved left and right. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us don't evangelize. We're all supposed to give the gospel to people, right? Does that make sense? All right. Now, let's go to Romans 12. All right? In Romans chapter 12, we find another passage that deals with spiritual gifts. But again, it comes about three-quarters of the way through the book. There's 11 chapters prior. All right, now this is a very well-known passage. We've looked at this passage, I think, twice already in our Believe series. If you look at Romans chapter 12, it starts with what word? Therefore. Therefore means you got to ask what happened in the previous 11 chapters. And because of what happened in the previous 11 chapters, Paul's now saying, because of all that that I taught you, this is what you should do. Okay? 
And so in verse 1 of chapter 12 of Romans, he says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, just note some of the language, okay? When I get to verse 4, it'll be on the screen, okay? So he's talking about your bodies, first off. Corinthians just talked about how we're part of the body, right? Now he's saying, take your bodies, right? <clears throat> by the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And so what has to happen here is your mind transformed. Now, we didn't read Romans 1, but if you went back and read Romans 1, you would find in Romans 1 that God had said that the people are depraved, that they knew about God, but they refused to worship God. And instead, he gave them over okay, to bad things, depraved things, including their mind. Their thinking became futile and darkened. Then he explains in chapter 3 about salvation. He then talks about how the Holy Spirit works in your life. And then he talks, now he's saying, because of that, what do you do? And he's actually connecting back with chapter 1. Your mind should not be darkened and futile, but it should be renewed by the power of God, okay? The Holy Spirit working in you. And then in verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, okay, now grace, that's the gifts, okay, by, by God's grace, all right, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. Now, doesn't that sound a lot like 1 Corinthians 12? Okay. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Sounds very similar. Well, he, he wrote both. So, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Notice again, the word grace, okay? The, the word for spiritual gifts and grace, those are all the all same related words, okay? They all have to do with the same thing. It means that it's a gift from God. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service and service, if teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. And then he talks about love being without hypocrisy. So in this passage, he lists these ideas relating to the spiritual gifts again. Now we saw these on the list, okay? Here's what I want us to kind of get to understand here, okay? Corinthians, the people were abusing the gift of tongues. And so Paul tries to correct that. In Romans, he's been laying out the idea of how God comes into your life. He saves you, okay? Jew and Gentile, if you go back and look at chapter 3, okay? And then the Spirit comes into you, Romans chapter 8. And now because of this, what do you do and how do you live your life? And here he's showing... That the Spirit gives gifts that work through your life to transform how you live your life. So let me make a connection between both of these passages. We've developed this idea and mindset that there's spiritual gifts. Okay, You should find out what your gift is and use it. All right. What I'm going to say to you today is you can do that. I've done that. On the paper that I have for you to take home this week, there are three links to look at spiritual gifts tests. But here's what I want to say. That's not what Paul was talking about. Paul would not have been giving you a spiritual gifts test. Paul was not given a list of spiritual gifts so that you could check and see what you have. Paul was writing to the Corinthians to correct them. Paul was writing to the Romans to explain to them, now that you've been saved, Okay, you have Jews and you have Gentiles both in the same church now. The Jews are still following the Torah, the Old Testament. The Gentiles don't know anything about the Torah in the Old Testament. How do you put them together who have now become one through the Holy Spirit? And how do you live together like that? How do you not have racism and judgmentalism and prejudice? And it's through the Holy Spirit. It's through the gifts of the Spirit that you encourage one another, that you use them for each other. It's not a spiritual gift test. It's paying attention to God and living in relationship to God. And as you do that, the Spirit works through you, like John 15 talks about, and it comes out of you in these different manifestations. And it looks different in different people. 
And he does what he want when he wants. Yeah. salvation, yes, okay, and that is a gift, so that's good, okay, but the other spiritual gifts, if you will, um, or manifestations, or spiritual things, okay, that flow out of us are different, you see, we're all, we're not cookie cutters, we're not all the same, just like in the natural world, okay, we might be good at different things, all right, and the spiritual world, we're given different gifts. And the other thing is I don't want you to completely confuse uh, natural talents, natural abilities with spiritual gifts. You see, if you go practice the piano for five hours a day, you're going to become very good at the piano. doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer. Okay? That's not a spiritual gift. You practiced and got good at it. All right? Now, if you didn't know how to play the piano and suddenly God puts a piano in front of your face and all of a sudden you can play Bach and Beethoven, well, that's a spiritual gift. Why? Because it came through the Spirit. Okay? You didn't practice five hours to do it, right? So, preaching, for instance, what I do, preaching and teaching, has a mix of things, okay? I've trained myself to do certain things. I've trained myself to read. I've trained myself to research, etc. So, that part, like, actually an unbeliever can do that part, all right? But when I read the scriptures and God shows me stuff, and he reminds me of connections between Old Testament and New Testament, and when he um, explains a passage to my mind, okay, you don't get that just by some other way. That's the spirit working, right? And so then when I share that with you, you get the benefit of that spiritual gift in my life. Does that make sense? All right? And so when we confront people um, with the word of God, when there's sin in our lives, okay, whether it's, you know, gossip or, or whatever the sin might be, okay, those are um, times when the spirit works through us to grow another believer, Right? And that's something he uses us to do. So we work in the body together. Okay, so last week I showed you the one another's. Okay, and I put them back on the screen. All right, so these one another's, all right, we looked at how many times that they occurred in the scripture, okay? But what I want you to focus on is the first thing we saw was how the unity, one third of them were about unity, the one another's. So last week I gave you, I think, a sheet with 59 one another commands on it. Okay? You cannot use your spiritual gifts, okay, to violate the one another's. Does that make sense? The one another's are commands from God. So if you are using your spiritual gifts to go against, to violate the unity principles or the one another commands, then you're in the wrong and it's not really coming from the Spirit. You just think it's coming from the Spirit. Just like the Corinthians. They thought it was coming from the Spirit, but it was not coming from the Spirit. Remember, the Corinthian church is the same church that they were all getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. All right? So we got to evaluate. The next thing as a review was the love. A third of the commands were about loving one another. You see? Here's the other thing with spiritual gifts, okay? If God does something through your life, okay? The Apostle Paul, okay? God worked mightily through Paul's life. If Paul just keeps it to himself... He's using the gift that God gave him for himself and not for anybody else. That's selfish, right? The gift isn't for you. So whatever gift you guys might have, it's not for you. It's for me. And whatever gift I have, it's not for me. It's for you. Yeah. The gifts aren't for you. All right? Now, if we really got that down in our lives, it would change a lot of things. You could take that even... We'll talk about stewardship in the next couple weeks also, but even with, with finances, you take that. God blesses you with a bunch of money. It's not actually just for you. How can you best put forward God's kingdom or help other people or, or whatever? The spiritual gifts specifically, they're not for you. Romans and specifically 1 Corinthians 12 make it very plain. They're for others, all right? The next one was humility. We have to have humility through this. The Corinthians violated this. They were puffing themselves up, okay, because they thought they were so spiritual because they were speaking in tongues. And Paul had to knock them down a few notches and say, no, you're not. You think you're spiritually mature, but you're actually spiritually immature. And it's showing by your actions. See, humility 
is spiritual maturity. Let me throw up here another chart just demonstrating, illustrating how these gifts work. Okay? So, as an example, the gift of prophecy, okay, could be used for preaching the word. The gift of teaching for instruction. The gift of exhortation is to encourage each other, okay? Showing mercy for doing kindness. The gift of giving for financial support. The gift of faith for enablement and power. The gift of discernment for protection. The gift of evangelism for reaching the lost. So let's think about this for a minute. Whether we have a small church like us or one day, Lord willing, we grow much larger, each of you, okay, has a gift. And the spiritual gift is not sleeping. Some of you think it is, but it's not. Okay? The gift that each of you has is for the body. The gift is to grow the body, encourage the body, build us up. All right? And so you use that gift in various ways. It's not only to be used inside the church building. All right? It's to be used in your family, at your school, all over the place. Remember, Acts 8.1, they were scattered all over and did what with their gifts? They used them. That's how the church grew. That's how the church was built. So at this point, you might be asking yourself how that has to do with your personality and whatnot, but the real question I've already indicated is it's not the same as talents and natural abilities, okay? The Holy Spirit gives you a spiritual gift, and then Jesus gives you a service or a job assignment, and God works all those gifts and the job assignments together to accomplish his purposes, okay? Kind of goes with Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, all right? And so... He puts all that together, but you might be thinking, well, what are my spiritual gifts? And here's what I want to say with that, because I've only scratched the surface. I hope what I've done is I've piqued your interest. I hope that I didn't answer all your questions, I'm sure. I hope, though, that you have this thought now is, what are these spiritual gifts? How does this work? I need to learn more about this. That's exactly what needs to happen, and you need to get in the Word and learn about it. All right? Now, I did tell you that I put some links on your, on your paper that you can take home, and you can go do a spiritual gifts test. But I also said that's not what Paul would have said. And so I want us to not be so concerned with what is my spiritual gift from this test. Okay? You can do it. I've done half a dozen or a dozen of them, all right? Um, and they usually come out pretty similar. But what I really want you to think about is what is God doing in your life? Okay? And how are you using that in the church? And outside the church walls, but still as the church, okay? To bring glory to God. Remember, in Joel, in Daniel, in the Exodus, common denominator when the spirit moved, common denominator was that people knew that God was God. You look at the book of Acts. When these miracles were happening, what happened? People knew that God was God. The name of Jesus was being made famous, and then the church grew. So here's what we need, guys. We need to get close to God. We need to pray that God would help us be bold. Then the Spirit will work through us. When the Spirit works through us, the name of Jesus will be lifted up, and then God will draw people to Himself. That's what needs to happen. And how does that all happen? Because God and the Holy Spirit put gifts in our life. Or another way of saying that is God and the Holy Spirit manifests Himself, okay, in our life, or flows out of us different ways that comes from him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift that you give us. The most important gift is your son, Jesus. And I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, 
that you would draw them to yourself. You would convict them of their sin, just like Joel did and people repented, just like in Acts 2 when Peter told the people to repentance, Lord, that they would repent, they would realize that you alone are God, that there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for us that are believers that we would be focused, number one, on being with you, our relationship with you. And that through that, Lord, we would be serious about lifting up your name everywhere we go. And that your spirit would work through our lives, would manifest himself in many different ways. That we would not shut down the spirit, but we would test the spirits by your word. I pray, God, that you would use this group of people here to reach this area, Kirkman Road area, Lord. Through the name of Jesus, made famous, and many are brought into his kingdom. In Christ's name.